My name is Joe Wood. When I was a teenager, I experienced recurring paranormal phenomena. When it all became too much, I blocked it out. Now I'm on a mission to reconnect with this side of my life by revisiting my memories. This is What the Haunt. It was only the beginning. Following a hot summer day of 13-year-old adventures, I found myself seated at my laptop. In the six months since I received my first computer, I had developed a routine, a heavy rotation of Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. On weeknights like this one, I would anxiously wait for my mom to head to bed. Teenagers yearn for independence and browsing without even a chance of supervision felt like freedom. However, this night that was like many before it would be so different. It was late August 2009 and I'd set up shop in the back room of my house. My mom and I lived in a one-story ranch that we moved into a few years before. The main part of the house was built in 1952 and the back room was an addition built in the early to mid-70s. A large room with a half-bathroom connected to the front of the house by a long hallway leading into the kitchen. In a conventional sense, it was our living room, but we called it the back room. I had been on my laptop for a few hours at this point in the night. My mom had gone to bed around 9pm and it had just passed midnight. I was sitting at the table, facing into the back room, with the hallway to the front of my house directly to my left. The only lights on were a lamp next to the table I was sitting at and two ceiling lights going down the hallway with the rest of the back room dark. I was extremely focused on my laptop screen, watching YouTube videos, tweeting tweets, and messaging friends on Facebook. Suddenly, I noticed movement out of the corner of my eye. I saw my mom walking in the kitchen, It was strange to see her up this late on a weeknight, but she had been known to wander into the kitchen for a glass of water or head outside for a cigarette, so I don't think anything of it. I continued on with my internet escapades. A few minutes passed and I noticed her walking in the kitchen again. At this point, I was surprised she was still awake. She works early in the morning and has a long commute, so unless she wasn't feeling well, she wouldn't stay up for very long if she woke up in the middle of the night. Also, it seemed weird to me that she hadn't said anything. She could clearly see me at the end of the hallway and had always made a point to at least throw me a hey bud whenever she woke up in the middle of the night. I decided that if I noticed her again, I would break away from Twitter and ask her if she's okay. A couple of minutes later, and I was lost in messages with friends to the point at which my mom being awake was barely on my mind anymore. However, I remembered as I noticed movement in my periphery. I quickly looked over to ask her why she was up. But I didn't see my mom. 
I didn't see a person. I saw a shadow, a silhouette of a person about six feet tall. The moment my eyes landed on the figure walking by the hallway, it stopped. In a movement so instantaneous I could only call it teleporting, the shadow turned itself towards me. The shadow was just that. A pitch black void darker than anything I'd ever seen, as if it was absorbing the light around it. Although it had no distinguishable features aside from its domineering shape, I knew it was looking me directly in the eyes. I froze with fear. I couldn't move and I couldn't look away. Any morsel of fascination that would have normally taken over in a moment like this was nowhere to be found. Questions raced through my mind. When the ceiling light in the hallway closest to the figure flickered and went out. The second the light went dark, the figure was now directly under it. The next ceiling light flickered and went out. The figure was four feet closer to me, directly below that light. Finally, the lamp next to me flickered and went out. And I knew exactly what was going to happen. The figure was now standing directly in front of me, towering over me, peering into my eyes. Something worse than fear grew in the pit of my stomach. A sharp, stabbing pain followed by what felt like energy being pulled out of my core. I panicked. I had seen things before, but they never approached me so aggressively, nor had they created a physical sensation. I didn't know what was going to happen or what it was capable of, and I couldn't move my gaze from its eyes. I felt helpless and terrified, when suddenly, it vanished. Seconds later, the lights that had gone out turned back on, as if nothing happened. The only evidence of the encounter was my inability to move. After I turned back to my laptop, I spent the next two hours in the same position. I didn't look away, even if I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye. Fortunately, I had friends to talk to, relaying what had happened to them. They eventually convinced me that I could make it to my bedroom, so I logged off, ran to my room, and went to sleep as soon as my mind would let me. Before this night, I thought the supernatural was the most peculiar aspect of being human, and the few encounters I had in the past were more fascinating than scary. But this was different. Whatever the figure in my hallway was, it was like nothing I'd ever seen or felt. It felt evil. I spent the early years of my life hoping for something like the encounter in my hallway to happen. 
While some may tremble at the thought of such a vivid experience with a ghost, it was something I welcomed with open arms. Now, I know what you're thinking. What a weird little kid. In fact, looking back all of these years later, I was a weird little kid. What little kid wants to see a ghost? As far back as I can remember, I was always drawn towards the paranormal. But where did this come from? I don't think I emerged from the womb ready to communicate with spirits. There had to be outside factors in my formative years that created this interest. I believed in ghosts. I wasn't wholly afraid of them, and I wanted to communicate with them. I believe each of these facts can be derived from three large influences in my life. My belief in ghosts stems from my Catholic upbringing. I attended Catholic school from kindergarten to fourth grade. While most kids who grow up Catholic may only spend time in church on Sundays and holy days, religion was a part of my daily life. I interpreted many of the aspects of Catholicism as supernatural. However, one specific aspect is the primary influence in my belief in ghosts. The idea that our souls are separate from our bodies. We're taught that our actions on earth determine whether or not we go to heaven or hell when we die. At the same time, we're well aware of funerals. I don't remember if I even attended a funeral at such a young age, but I know I was aware of what they were. Therefore, if we go to a different place when we die, but our bodies are buried in the ground, we are separate from our bodies. The part of me that thinks and feels that I call myself that is not what my body is. My body is just the vessel, the vehicle to get me through my journey on earth before I move on to the afterlife. Now, I don't necessarily think my teachers were directly saying, your body is different from your soul, but we were always discussing scripture. I think that this is something that became a logical conclusion from those teachings. Furthermore, my understanding of purgatory influenced my belief in ghosts. I was taught that purgatory was a place that you could be sent to when you die in the same way that heaven and hell are. I remember a teacher likening it to a spiritual waiting room where you were stuck while God decides if you go to heaven or hell. I'm not sure if I was told this, but I believed that purgatory explained why there were ghosts on earth because they were stuck here waiting to cross over. These are no longer my specific spiritual beliefs, because I don't consider myself to be Catholic, I felt it was important to do my research and talk to an actual Catholic to make sure I appropriately represent the religion. I reached out to my Nana to ask her, and she helped me understand that purgatory is not a place, but a state of the soul where it purges itself of sin before going to heaven. Furthermore, while our spirits leave our bodies when they die, it is believed that Jesus will reunite our souls with our bodies when he returns to earth. My understanding of the separation of the soul and body, as well as my understanding of purgatory, changed the way I looked at the world. It led me to believe that ghosts did, in fact, exist. This allowed me to be more open when being told about hauntings. But why did I want to communicate with them? There are plenty of people who believe in ghosts and have absolutely zero interest in encountering them, so where did the intrigue come from? 
My grandparents can take a lot of credit for shaping many of the interests in my life. For my 18th birthday, my grandma gave me a binder of the chronology of all of the things we've done together since I was born, including pictures and dates. As I read through it now, I realize that so many things that are such a big part of my life are things that I did with them. They constantly took me to live theater when I was young, so I ended up acting all throughout middle school and high school, and I went to college for musical theater. We were always camping and hiking, spending time in nature, and now as an adult, the place that I feel most at peace is when I'm deep in the woods. So, what made me love the paranormal and want to communicate with the dead? We went on several vacations to historical places throughout New England, Bolt Castle, Amish, Pennsylvania, Jamestown, Williamsburg, Fort Stanwix, and many more. And at a few of those places, we went on ghost walks. A ghost walk is a guided tour around a town at night. In my experience, you don't go inside any of the buildings, but they tell you about their history, highlighting the tales of local hauntings and mysterious deaths. For example, if my hometown of Auburn, New York had a ghost tour it would go a little something like this. It would start at the Tubman home, move along South Street, stopping at the Case Mansion, take a loop through Fort Hill Cemetery, and end at the Seward House, highlighting the history of Harriet Tubman, architect of the Underground Railroad, William Case, inventor of movie tone's sound-on-film system, and William Seward senator who negotiated the Alaska Purchase, all the while telling stories of citizens' first-hand accounts of ghosts in these locations, many of which would likely be my own. Going on these ghost walks and hearing about other people's experiences with spirits was so incredible to me. Imagining being able to communicate with someone who lived the history we were learning about was amazing. My fascination with the supernatural and my deep love for history directly stem from these historical trips and ghost walks. History and ghosts were linked in my eyes. I wanted to be able to communicate with a ghost in order to learn more about the past. Yes, we have books and classes talking about history, but it would be something on another level to be able to talk to someone who was there. I think that my grandma specifically played a role as a paranormal influence in my life. She always suggested going on ghost walks and was always ready to talk about spooky things. At one point, when I was 11, we went to a local community college for a lecture on debunking the paranormal. We were both disappointed to realize it was from a skeptic's point of view, but it was good that it was. This helped me maintain skepticism throughout my experiences. When you're actually seeing spirits and getting a bit freaked out often, it's easy to think every little sound a house makes is a ghost. Even if you believe in ghosts and want to communicate with them, there's still an unseen barrier that prevents most people from ever putting themselves in such a situation. Fear. But what is fear? Why are we afraid of things? To understand this, we need a basic comprehension of the psychological factors behind emotional responses. According to Paul Ekman's book, Emotions Revealed, all emotional responses are based off of innate triggers that we are born with, referred to as themes. 
We then learn new triggers that are all related to this core theme called variations. The root of all fear is the threat of physical or psychological harm. From that, we can learn to fear anything. At the same time, we can unlearn our conditioned fears. For example, when I was very young, I was pushed into a pool before I learned to swim. This is the inciting incident that created my fear of water and swimming, because being in the water presented the threat of physical harm. However, to combat this, my mom signed me up for swimming lessons and eventually I unlearned my fear and was constantly in the deep end. I believe most people in the U.S. are conditioned to have a fear response to ghosts. I can't speak from experience about other cultures. They are the subject of most spooky stories we hear when we are young. Tales around the campfire, scary movies, paranormal TV shows. Even normal kids cartoons have some sort of spooky Halloween episode. Even so, while all of these things can condition us to be afraid of ghosts, they can also desensitize us to the idea and help us unlearn that fear. This is exactly the effect the media I consumed had on me. Aside from Pokemon, many of the cartoons I watched fell into the supernatural spectrum. The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, Courage the Cowardly Dog, Danny Phantom, even normal cartoons had some pretty creepy episodes that have stuck with me all these years later. I'd have to say Courage the Cowardly Dog was easily the most horrific thing on children's television. Billy and Mandy was mostly comedic with macabre characters. Danny Phantom was more of a Ghostbusters-y and superheroic show despite it being about literal ghosts. But Courage the Cowardly Dog still freaks me out. I don't know if I was afraid of ghosts before I watched these cartoons, but if they didn't create the trigger for an emotional response, they definitely reinforced it. The media that was the catalyst for me unlearning my fear of ghosts was Discovery Kids' Scary Saturday Night Sleepover. The program featured Truth or Scare, an Elvira-esque host telling stories of famous hauntings, strange days at Blake Holsey High, high school students experiencing preternatural events, and mystery hunters, kids trying to debunk paranormal occurrences with science. These shows were the gateway, the bridge between spooky cartoons and more serious paranormal shows. Truth or Scare was definitely my favorite. This show featured hauntings in the real world. Ghosts were no longer myths used in a show to freak me out. They were something out there that other people had experienced. Encountering one became a possibility, something that could happen in my lifetime. As I got a bit older, I moved on to more mature paranormal content. These were no longer fictitious cartoons or staged and scripted tales. These were real people, in search of paranormal activity, trying to document it. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm talking about ghost hunters and ghost adventures. This was it for me. These shows helped me realize I wanted to do what they were doing, actively seek out the supernatural. Now, there's a lot of room for criticism with these shows, and it's completely possible that they were just staged or over-dramatized events for TV, and Ghost Adventures had that one guy who was super antagonizing and rude to the dead to try to provoke them, which I didn't like and wouldn't recommend. Nevertheless, 
Whether or not these shows were credible experiences with actually documented phenomenon, the impact they had on me was real. I will say, there were things that happened on Ghost Hunters that fall in line with my personal experiences with spirits. For example, they talk a lot about feeling the energy or presence of the ghosts they encounter. When I saw the figure in my hallway, it wasn't just seeing it. I felt this dominant, aggressive energy the moment I laid my eyes on it. The memory is rife with emotional energy in the air, as it is with the sight of the faceless shadow. I also remember one of the investigators frequently experiencing physical contact from the spirits. This is something I have quite a bit of experience with, but we'll get to that later. All of the media I consumed throughout my childhood, all of the trips and ghost walks I went on with my grandparents, and my religious upbringing molded me into someone who loved the paranormal and wanted to experience it. My efforts, however, were limited to the fact that I was so young. I wasn't at an age where I could just go off on my own to any old place that might just so happen to be haunted. I could really only go where adults brought me. I remember thinking, when I'm old enough, I'm going to do it. If only I knew what I was in for. The encounter with the hallway figure wasn't my first experience, but it occurred only weeks after I first saw a ghost. Before that summer, I don't remember experiencing anything like what started after the first time. The closest thing to anything supernatural was an incessant, eerie feeling in the basement of each of the two homes I grew up in. I'm almost certain that most kids experience a fear of the basement, probably a result of the fear of the dark and all of the scary stories that are set in a cellar. So where did this all begin? It came out of nowhere, on a seemingly regular day in the summer of 2009, a regular day that is still fresh in my mind 11 years later. What was the inciting incident for the saga that would inevitably unfold during my teenage years? It was a party full of theater kids. I'm sure that alone is terrifying enough for some of you. If you asked three-year-old Joe what he wanted to be when he grew up, he would have proudly proclaimed a paleontologist. That was until I was cast in the titular role of my preschool's production of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. From then on out, I was done with paleontology. I wanted to be a performer. I was in acting classes and theater summer camps up until I was in middle school. At that point, I would take part in as many possible theater productions that I could without them conflicting with each other. The summer of 2009, I was in two shows, a concert version of 13 the Musical by Jason Robert Brown, completely produced and directed by kids, and the local community theater's youth production of Disney's Beauty and the Beast Jr. The party in question was in celebration of my friend Amy's birthday. She played one of the silly girls, and I played LeFou. While the show was cast from ages 5 to 18, those of us at her party were around the same age, from 12 to 15. 
We had spent the evening running around her yard, playing games, and having a great time. After we ate dinner and had cake, her parents and older siblings called it a night and went up to their rooms on the second floor. Meanwhile, the group of us, about eight people, gathered in her living room to play Guitar Hero. From where I was sitting, I could see into the rest of the house, the dining room that was connected to the living room, and beyond that, into the kitchen. As I was looking up at the TV, I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. I glanced over and caught a glimpse of a man in the dining room walking just out of view. Now, when you're 13, there's a big difference between the language you use with your friends and the language you use when their parents are around, and I was the type of kid who cared if the adults heard me speaking in an off-color way. So I turned to Amy and said, Hey, I think your dad is downstairs. She brushed me off. He never comes downstairs once he goes to bed. Don't worry about it. I trusted her judgment. This was my first time coming over and the first time I'd met her parents, so if she said not to worry about it, I wouldn't. Anyways, it looked like the man was walking towards the stairs. Maybe we just didn't hear him go up them because of Guitar Hero. I let it go and turned my attention back to the TV. I tried to let myself get lost in Stairway to Heaven accompanied by the plastic clicking of well-executed strums when I noticed movement again. I quickly looked to the dining room only to see the same man walking out of view, this time to the other side of the room away from the stairs. Clearly someone was down here with us, and this time there was no way they'd be able to go back upstairs without me seeing them. Having been brushed off so quickly, I was feeling smug. Amy, are you sure no one is down here? Maybe your brother? No, he brought some food upstairs, so he wouldn't come down. Plus, we would definitely hear someone coming down the stairs. She replied. At that point, I started to get annoyed. I wasn't an idiot, and I knew someone was down here. As I was about to pointedly reply, a voice chimed in. Joe, do you want to come grab some food with me? It was my friend Kimmy, asking me to come with her. I'm okay, I'm not really hungry. Not taking no for an answer, she pressed on. Are you sure you don't want to come grab some food? I was a little confused as to why she was being so insistent, and I wasn't finished figuring out who was downstairs with Amy, but I figured I might as well. Better to cool off for a second instead of acting on my emotions. I was a guest after all. Uh, yeah, sure. We got up and walked through the dining room into the kitchen. I looked around as we walked, seeing if I could spot Amy's dad or brother, but I didn't see anyone. Maybe her dad smokes and went out for a cigarette. Maybe her brother had come downstairs for something. I figured there had to be a logical explanation. It really wasn't a big deal. We grabbed paper plates and started collecting up some snacks from the cornucopia of food spread across the kitchen island. We were just chatting about nothing, small talk to fill the void, when Kimmy said, So you saw someone downstairs? Yeah, I guess maybe it was her dad or brother or something. No big deal, I responded, grabbing some Doritos. What did they look like? I hadn't really given it much thought. It was such a brief glimpse, an impression of a person, I thought for a moment, trying to recall details. The only thing I noticed was a hat. But it was a weird hat with a brim the entire way around it. 
Now that I had said it out loud, I realized it was kind of weird. That kind of hat was one I'd only seen on stage. It wasn't something everyday people wear. But I didn't really know Amy's family. Who was I to judge? Maybe that's their thing. Kimmy's eyes twinkled, and a curious expression spread across her face. Look around. See if you can see them. I initially thought that that was kind of a weird thing to ask me to do, but I trusted Kim. I only met her earlier in the summer, but I felt connected to her and her best friend since the beginning. Maybe she saw Amy's dad or brother and was trying to help me prove my point. I decided to get a better view. I stepped away from the island and stood in the threshold in between the kitchen and the dining room. I panned from right to left when I saw something in the foyer. A man, with a hat, leaning up against the wall. But something wasn't right. He looked dim, as if I didn't have my glasses on. Instead of seeing details, I only saw the blurry impression of a person. I was very confused. Why couldn't I see him clearly? I was wearing my glasses and he was barely 12 feet away. On that note, how did I know it was a man? I couldn't even clearly see their face. Why wasn't this person saying anything, or at least acknowledging my gaze with a wave or a nod of the head? Who were they? What was going on? I described what I was seeing to Kim, certain she could hear the confusion and concern in my voice. It's okay, Joe. You won't see them the way you see people. What do you mean? I trembled. What am I looking at? A spirit. You're seeing a spirit. Now this was obviously both mind-bending and overwhelmingly exciting. Once I had time to process what was happening and regain my composure, I was ecstatic. I had so many questions, and Kimmy had the answers. She went on to tell me that her best friend, Echo, who was in the show with us that summer, also had these experiences as well. The two had both been seeing apparitions since they were very young, and were both mediums. Kimmy had actually been to Amy's house before and was surprised by how active it was. She recalled being in the living room with Amy and seeing a man walking into the kitchen who made eye contact with her before walking out of view. We stayed in the kitchen for a while, not wanting to frighten any of the rest of the group. The house was indeed active. Throughout the rest of the night, I remember seeing multiple apparitions, including orbs of light the size of my head slowly floating throughout the house. It was a dream come true. It felt like I'd been invited to Camp Half-Blood for the summer and was just discovering a superpower I never knew I had. All the years of scary stories and ghost walks, wishing I could experience even a fraction of what I saw in Ghost Hunters, and here I was, experiencing something beyond what I had imagined possible at my friend's birthday party. Eventually it was time to go home, and I was in the car with my mom for mere seconds before I recounted in detail everything that had happened that night. She was excited for me, 
You don't raise a kid who is obsessed with the paranormal without being subjected to hours of ghost hunters and scary Saturday night sleepover yourself. As I laid in bed that night, I was excited about the future. I knew it was possible that this was just a one-time thing, but the experience felt different than that. It felt like something had awakened within me. My mind flourished with possibilities of how this newfound sight would change the course of my life. And thinking back all of these years later, I laugh at how bright-eyed and naive I had been about what was to come. After all, it was only the beginning. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the Haunt. To submit a question for our listener questions episodes, visit the homepage of our website, whatthehaunt.com. What the Haunt is written and narrated by Joe Wood, mixed and mastered by Eric Rodriguez, and our theme song, Lift the Veil, is written by Joe Wood and performed by Mullinator. <laughs>